0: Night Hello, night Let's Talk Gina Torah I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NM Streamcast And we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun While we learn You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag At letstalktorah.gmail.com And of course I will answer as many questions as I can Or you can go to our webpage at letstalktorah.net That's letstalktorah.net And you can find the archives, you can find the new shows, you can send your questions, your comments, and, of course, the all-important donate button. If you could please help the show, hit that donate button. We have multiple levels of donations, which are always greatly appreciated, and that will help us grow. It will help us take care of our expenses here and uh, spread the word, and it would really be amazing. So, again, I thank you in advance. Uh, Unless you're living under a rock... Um, You're all aware what's going on in the world. Um, If you're listening to this um, three months uh, later than when we made the uh, recording. So last Shabbos, last Saturday, um, the Hamas terrorists, maybe they should be called murderers, um, attacked different numbers, a thousand thousand murderers, 1,500 murderers, and they broke through the walls, and instead of going after soldiers... Um, They went after settlements and they broke into houses and they murdered women and children and they just were just going after innocent people that weren't fighting, weren't doing anything, weren't responsible for anything um, to just murder, pillage. Who knows what they did? Terrible, horrible. And it took place on Simchas Torah, a very happy normally happy, joyous day. And if you're not a religious Jew, like I'd spoken to some friends, they, they, of course, got the news immediately. But the rest of us didn't know. Now, people slowly found out from maybe people that only keep one day of the holiday or neighbors or... Uh, somebody found out from an aide. It was taking care of somebody. And there was a a, an, a fascinating dilemma. I was speaking to a friend last night. He said, I only said it was a day of joy in the prayer because that's what the prayer says. But I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. And, and the question arose, do you dance? How do you dance on Simchas Torah? When you know so many of your Jewish brethren have been butchered, how can you do it? And it's not a new question. It's actually an old question. But as I explained to my friend last night, there's two different kinds of dancing. There's a dancing, drinking, partying, silly Um, not a care in the world, that's one kind of dancing. But really, really, on Simcha's Torah, when we're dancing with the Torah scrolls, it is not a silly dancing. It is The dancing is a way of connecting emotionally with God. And if you really recognize what's going on, the songs are very old. They're very old songs. They're very emotional songs. And for the most part, the songs are made up of half a dozen words. Not much more than that, sometimes less. Ten words, very short phrases, very powerful emotional phrases. And when you say a phrase over and over and over and over and over, it starts to become part of you. So those words become a prayer. So it happens to be on the East Coast where many people knew about what was going on. Um, The rabbis would, in their synagogues, actually would speak for 15, 20 minutes beforehand, letting people know what's going on, letting people know what they should feel, what's happening, and they told them, these words you're going to say are emotional and they are powerful. And they, these words themselves will help the Jewish people. It's a prayer to God, and it will, it will move things along. And as I told you, this is not original. This is actually has happened two different times in history. I mean, it could be many times in history, but two that I know of that happened that sort of answer the question. The first time is back at the beginning of World War II. The Mir Yeshiva in Poland, in Mir, that's the name of the city, um, the writing was on the wall. Everybody knew what was going on. And they themselves weren't sure, should we be dancing today? Like, the, there was a dark cloud over everyone, getting ready to escape, where to run, if you could run, what to do, where to go. So the Mir Yeshiva sang... The words of a song that goes, Utso, Eitz of a Sufa, they make advice and ideas. Dabru Daver. they speak words, but Velo it doesn't come to fruition. Kimonu Kail, because God is with us. They sang that song for hours and hours and hours and hours. And Revicheska Levenstein said afterwards that the salvation of the Mir yeshiva was because of that prayer. What happened? A few weeks later, a few weeks later, the, um, that entire school, all those Talmudic students, um, it was the only school that did it as a whole, made their way to Shanghai. They got the visas through Japan. There's all kinds of stories about it. We've talked about those stories in the past. But I, I never put together till I read it this week that they left Mir, they left the school, the whole school picked up and was able to travel through Russia into Japan to Shanghai, China, where they stayed for the rest of the war. Um, that was really just a few weeks after that last Simchas Torah in Mir, in Poland. So that, as a starting point, is a, is is just trying to show you that, that there's different kinds of dancing. And if you've never experienced an emotional prayer of dancing for hours, you're missing. You're missing. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. I myself, where I go, we pray for hours. Again, it's the, we're dancing for hours, but it's a very, it's like a serious dancing. Like, yes, everyone's excited and everybody's screaming and, but it's, but as you repeat the words over and over and they, they get inside of you, it's powerful. I find Simrah's tour an amazing day because because of this type of dancing. It's not silliness. But if you haven't experienced it, there's no way to explain it. You can't explain it. You got to experience It happens to be, even here in Detroit, where the dancing was, again, very powerful this year. So somebody commented that, you know, it was very, you know, sometimes boys can get wild, but this year no one got wild and it's fascinating because we here in Detroit for the most part, I'm not saying no one knew, I'm not saying none of the synagogues knew, a lot of the synagogues knew by late afternoon a day later, right, on Sunday so, because two day holidays, so Chavez for sure nobody knew in the Oak Park area um, I heard Saturday night one of my third graders comes and tells me that the aide to his great-grandfather said something's happening in Israel. That was the most I heard. It seems most synagogues, even if they talked about it, wasn't until the afternoon of Sunday. That means they're dancing for sure Saturday night and Sunday morning. For the most part, we were clueless. But it must have been in the air that there was just an added fervor, and added emotion just going on because of what was happening in the world. So we're praying without even knowing How powerful that prayer is. What did the prayer accomplish? How did the prayer help? You know, who am I to answer that question? Obviously, the tragedy was amazing. It was tremendous. Now, a second story. Um, And this goes back, which people have been equating this um, tragedy, this attack to the Yom Kippur War. So Yom Kippur obviously is, you know, a week and a half prior to Simchas Torah. So again, they asked, can we dance? It was, so the Yom Kippur War took place, the war is going on. And they asked, can we, should we be dancing on, on Simchas Torah? And they said, yeah. They said, you have to recognize that the dancing on Simchas Torah is a way of elevating oneself and elevation of prayer of connection to God and is it the power that those prayers have we can't fathom. And therefore and therefore it is the right thing to do that we should be dancing. But again, you understand it's a dancing of emotion, a dancing of prayer, not a dancing of silliness. Um so people have been asking, of course. So uh What's your school doing? What are you telling the children? And don't worry, they, everybody keeps asking this question. And, and the simple, straight answer is, what do Jews do when their brothers are suffering? We pray. We pray. It's not my neighborhood. It's not my city. Not my state. It's a faraway country. doesn't matter. When a Jew is suffering, other Jews pray because we've talked about it, the uh, age-old adage, it says, uh, it's a verse from the Torah, but it becomes poetic, the voice, this is what Isaac says when he can't figure out if Jacob is Jacob or if he's Esau, so he says, It's the voice is the voice of Jacob, you die him, but when I feel him, he feels like Esau, what does that mean? And uh, so, Everybody says, you know, it's Jacob's power is through prayer. The Jewish people, our power is when we pray to God and God takes care of us. Right? If, if, we, if we put all our reliance on an army, unfortunately, you see, it doesn't always help, right? right? Unfortunately, right? If all you have to rely on is soldiers, so tragedies can take place. Now, you can rely on God and tragedy also take place. It just means God decided he wanted the tragedy to take place. Why? Who am I to say why God wanted us to suffer? There's no way to answer that question. There's no way to explain terrorism, barbarism. There's no way to explain any of it. I don't have to explain it. I have to know God has a plan, and we're going to talk about it as we move along. But first things first, we pray. So, for example, I can only tell you here, Monday night in Detroit, way over 1,000 people, which for the Orthodox community is a lot of people, way over 1,000 people. I have no idea what the number was. If somebody would tell me it was 1,500 people or 1,800 people, I would not be surprised because I couldn't get in. In You know, they took one of the um, schools, took the prayer area, and they had men there, and they had a curtain and women, and then... We were out towards the street, out into the parking lot, overflow, overflow. I couldn't even see inside. I can't tell you how many people were there. But the Jewish community showed up to pray. What are the children doing in school? We pray. My class is third graders. So it is amazing. I, I, I got a, 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 a WhatsApp from one of my brother-in-law's. That he was, became emotional. There, there are certain chapters in Psalm that almost tell the story of what's going on. It's unbelievable. So we pray. I told my class, I couldn't get into the details, the gory details. What they hear at home, they hear at home. This one will tell me about a cousin who's a soldier. I have uh, cousins that are fighting, I have students that were called up in the reserves. Um, So I told my class, I said, you know, the power of children praying is powerful. Children's prayers are powerful. So I said, we will add to our day. Now, when I say add to the day, it takes away from something else, right? You only have so many hours in the day. But we have a certain chapter. It has to be chapter 20. That's the chapter they're they're asking younger children to say. Older children could be 83. Um, I think somebody else wanted to tell me Um, 79, maybe, I don't remember. It's all written down. Um, We say that chapter verse by, by verse every day. So my day starts, I don't know, five, six minutes later every day, but it's worth it. It's worth it to teach them the lesson of how important their prayer is to people they don't know, they'll probably never meet. It's irrelevant. It's another Jewish person. That person is suffering. There are people that are wounded. There are people in hospitals There are people, of course, that are missing, that have been kidnapped. We have to pray for them. That's what we could do. That's the most powerful thing we could do. I know in Lakewood, I saw one thing. There was 10,000 people who were praying at the same time, not the same building because the buildings can't hold that many people. So they got a bunch of buildings, and at the same time, 10,000 people. I read Crown Heights, probably out in the street, 20,000 people. Who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people are praying Every day. Just take the students. There's hundreds of thousands of Jewish children in schools. And I can assure you, they are all adding to their prayers every day. That has nothing to do with all the synagogues. Then after every prayer, they're going to say extra psalms. Because everybody knows that when the Jewish people are suffering, the first thing we have to do is pray. Some of you think the first thing we should do is uh, get, sol- get uh, become soldiers. <laughs> interesting thing is there's a um, in the, the resource room by us um, so his son I know served in the Israeli army and the son was I think it was a commander but actually he was released because of injury but he's officially in the reserves so he happens to be something he's doing in Ann Arbor um, he wondered if he's being called up so but he wasn't officially called. So he calls whatever number they call for the army, and they say, you know, thank you very much for calling. We have the reserves we're looking for right now. We obviously know about you. If we need you to come, we will call you. But until we call, don't come. Like, we, we have nowhere to put you. All right? 300,000 reserves called up. It's a lot of people, and a lot more people are actually trying to go. There's all kinds of amazing stories. Soldiers trying to get back. I can't remember which airport they said it was. There was a guy standing there paying for the tickets. You're going to Israel to fight. I'm paying for your ticket. You're going? Pay for your ticket. And people are having trouble getting out of Israel right now. The American uh, citizens are trying to get out. People went for the holidays. They can't get out. I'm hearing all kinds of stories. They're going through Dubai. They originally were going through London, but now that's been shut down. So uh, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see what's going on. It actually becomes a fascinating connection to this week's Torah portion. We, to Torah, we complete the reading of the Torah, and now we start the beginning of Bereshus in the beginning when God created heaven and earth. Now, there happens to be a fascinating discussion amongst the commentaries of, of why. Does the Torah start with creation? So, you know, we're used to to what the Torah looks like. We're used to the story. The world was created, and then people sinned, and then the flood, and then comes Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So we're we're very used to the story. So when you're used to the story, when somebody says, why is the Torah starting with this part of the book? It's like a funny question because, well, I got to know the world was created, right? Well, it's true. You have to know. But why does it have to be that the Torah has to tell me? I could learn it from the Talmud. I could learn it from the Medrash. So again, sometimes when we're used to knowledge coming from a certain place, now we ask the question, why do I need the Torah to write it? Right? It's like a little bit strange to us because our brains are used to it. But okay, fine. So Rashi, the first Rashi the beginning, says, why is the Torah beginning with the story of the creation of the world? The Torah is not supposed to be a storybook. The Torah is supposed to be a law book, which means, tell me the laws, tell me the commands, tell me the mitzvot that God wants me to do. So it should start in the middle of Parsh's Bow when it talks about uh, Rosh Chodesh and the Passover sacrifice because the Torah, the main point of the Torah is to tell me the commands that God wants me to keep. So Rashi says, a very interesting phrase, koach maasav, Higid Lamey, that God is showing his power to the world and to his nation, and he says, if the world is ever going to say that the land of Israel was stolen by the Jewish people, you tell those people God created the world and God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people. Very simple. Somebody said, in the U.N., whenever they complain, people want to get up there and say, you stole the land, you should get up there and, and open up the Torah. The problem is that if you don't keep the Torah, right, if you don't follow the rules and regulations, then they're going to throw it back at you and say, yeah, you don't even keep the laws in this Torah. What makes you think that you have a right to talk about uh, the Torah says you get Israel? <laughs> Do you believe in the Torah? You don't believe in the Torah. But I... I do believe in the Torah. I follow what it says in the Torah. Religious Jews follow the Torah. We certainly have the right to say that. That's how Rashi Rashi explains. There's a... a the Ramban, I think, is easier and it flows. Why Rashi didn't want to learn like the Ramban, I can't tell you. But the Ramban says that the the whole first book of Bereshis of Genesis is our foundation for, for belief in God and understanding who and what God is. People first want to say, no such thing as God. God created the world. Okay. Even if there's a God, he doesn't care about the world. No. You see, throughout the beginning of the book, God clearly cares about the world. People are sinning. God destroys the world. God takes care of Abraham. He saves Abraham, right? God cares about the world. He knows what's going on in the world. This is anti-philosophy, right? For those that are into philosophy, would understand that real philosophers say that there may be a God, but he could care less about the world. doesn't make sense that a God would care about the world. So you need the book to tell you God cares about the world. You need this book to tell you God speaks to people. You need... You need to know God speaks to people, the idea of prophecy, philosophers don't believe in philosophy, and the idea of reward and punishment. So all these things. Durban says, Durban says the God uh, that, that we need to know that this is how God works. There is a God. He cares about the world. He talks to people. He, he talks to prophets, at least, and there's reward and punishment. What will the punishment be for this terrible tragedy that just uh, took place in Israel, the scouts, prom. As I'm sure the, the, the government in Israel would like to decide that they are the final say, I don't think they can punish them enough. I don't think a, a human being, th- the most I could do is kill you. You know, killing is just not enough. Executing such a criminal is just not enough punishment for what these people did. But since I know in the end God is going to have to punish them and God will punish them, okay, so God will find a fitting punishment. But just killing them, I personally don't think that that's enough for for what took place over here. But one thing I do think it's worth thinking about, you know, um, during the Umquipa War, there was a tremendous... Um, rise in people repenting, in people seeing God's miracles, people becoming closer to becoming religious because they saw how God was protecting the Jewish people. Now, it didn't all happen the first second, but there were all kinds of stories, tons of stories. I'm not sure if I have time to get to any now. I'll try. Um, there's one story where you had a, a group of tanks and I mean there were four or five or six Israeli tanks. There were like 60 Egyptian tanks, and the commander wanted to, wanted to surrender. He says, we're not beating 68 Egyptian tanks. That's not happening. So I guess somebody else in the tank said, you know, I know you want to give up, but I would like to, I would like to fight. Do you mind if I lead the charge? So the captain said, okay, you want to fight? Go ahead. So he yells out, hero Israel, and he told all the tanks, when I scream that out, we're going to all fire once. And he, they yelled out, "Shema Israel, Hashem elokim, Hashem echad. Hear Israel, God, our God, God is one." They fire once, and immediately after they fire, the white flag from the sixty Israeli from the sixty Egyptian tanks goes up. <laughs> What's going on over here? he don't ask questions first. You take them prisoners. So they said to the Egyptian uh, commanders, "Why'd you give up? We have a few lousy tanks. We had a whole sixty tanks." there goes the music but I'll tell you the answer he says I know you say that you only had five tanks but you had a whole air force on top of you which by the way when they did the research there were no planes in the area but as it is the music is playing I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet thank you of course to all our wonderful sponsor listeners you know I can't do it without you and thank you to our production team we have Alan in the back today hope I've left you with some food for thought until next time I'm Rabbi H.C. Jacobson you've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast until next time don't forget to think about it There's a house we can build, every room inside is filled with things from far away.